and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. Well, here we are, uh, back in the woods, and uh, I was trying to wait for the ambient sounds to calm down because there's planes flying overhead and birds going crazy and cars driving by, but uh, I don't know. That's just going to be part of the charm of this. I think it's also possibly a swan song for this uh, this recording setup. I've, a couple times I've, I've gotten feedback about sound levels not working, and I've done what I can to adjust them, And uh, but I realized just how bad it was. I listen to the podcast mostly through headphones, and to me it sounds great through headphones, but if you listen through speakers, I know that my talking bits can get kind of lost. Something about um, my voice doesn't translate well to my car speakers, which I didn't realize until driving cross country and kind of quality control checking. So anyway, I've got a different type of microphone at home I might be switching to for the talking bits. Uh, we'll see. Um, this will be a little bit easier when I can record in my home studio. But for now, uh, kind of no better way to say goodbye to um, the Zoom mic for me speaking than being able to pick up a bunch of uh, birds and things here in the forests of North Carolina. So that's what we're going to do. Um, yeah, speaking of, so I thought this episode was going to be a kind of way too twog in the wild episode of myself um, kind of visiting with people and playing tunes with uh, Rob Edwards uh, down here. But then I got very distracted and this has turned into a deep dive episode into the piping jig uh, coppers and brass, which turns out to have a much older 18th century and bagpipe uh, connection than I expected. So that's what this episode is going to be, but one of the reasons I met up with Rob uh, over the last couple days, or last couple weeks rather, was to just, you know, hang out, share tunes. Um, He let me play his Northumbrian small pipes, which was absolutely awesome, Uh, but he also has a set of Scottish small pipes made by uh, Harriet and Allen that are pretty great, Uh, and he's got those for sale. So I'm going to include... We'll, we'll just kind of get that out of the way here quick. I'll, I'll do a track of me playing uh, Rob's Harriet and Allen small pipes. It's a three drone set. Um, one of the drones can kind of, adjust, the, the middle drone can tune down to D or A, uh, which makes for some really lovely things. And in order to kind of see what the thing was capable of, and just because it uh, feels like, uh, I don't know, I'd be pretty angry if I got a <laughs> Scottish small pipe that couldn't do the... Um, that low F note, uh, like uh, Breacha uses, and I, I've used a couple times on the podcast, and John Charles has used. Um, I'm sure everybody's going to be doing it as much as possible now. So, uh, anyway, this is uh, me playing the tune that Breacha plays on uh, Loss, our last, um, the, the Badger and the Weasel, I think, or the Weasel or the Badger. Anyway, but this is a set of Harriet, uh, Harriet and Allen Scottish Small Pipes. Uh, if you are interested in getting them, you can send Rob an email at rcedward at gmail.com. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, we're going to hear more from these these pipes in me uh, probably next episode. But uh, I wanted to make sure to include it here someplace. So without further ado, here is uh, the badger and the weasel. Yeah, so get in touch with Rob if you like those and you're in the the kind of shopping around for a kind of classic set of Scottish small pipes. The, I'm hoping to, to talk more with Rob about it for the next episode. Um, there's kind of an interesting history of 
uh, Harriet and Allen pipes. Um, they made Scottish small pipes and Northumbrian small pipes, and uh, I just didn't take good notes. I thought I was going to, I mean, I wasn't planning to put this on the episode at all, so I had like more time to, to figure it out. So uh, anyway, we'll, we'll hear more about these uh, this set of pipes next time. But if you are shopping exactly for a Harriet and Allen bellows, uh, blown Scottish small pipes in the key of A, uh, then look no further. Uh, anyway, so once again, uh, check Rob uh, Rob's email out if you want that set of pipes. So, like I said, I thought this episode was going to be a, you know, me and Rob playing tunes and kind of talking about that. And then I went to an Irish session uh, here in Carborough, and it was like a slow session. And I had heard about it kind of through the grapevine. And uh, my, my father-in-law played uh, at an old-time session with a fiddler and mandolin player that went to the slow session, so I heard about it that way. It wasn't posted on the session or anything, so I was sort of nervous about showing up uh, uninvited, and I wasn't sure if it was an open session. But super chill people. Um, it's an outdoor session, right, in a park. And uh, anyway, they said, yeah, this is a slow session. We play everything very slow, and we used to teach each other tunes, but we haven't done that in a while. And... Uh, one thing led to another, and I got recruited to teach uh, coppers and brass um, this Sunday. So I was like, sure, I can teach coppers uh, coppers and brass. I kind of assumed everybody knew it. It's such a kind of standard session tune um, where I'm from. And the local Irish trio when I was going to school at University of Iowa was called coppers and brass. So it was just like, oh, everybody knows this tune. And, you know, I was trying to pick tunes that everybody knew and was sort of surprised they didn't. And they all wanted to hear it. So anyway, I said, yeah, I can teach you how to play coppers and brass. I've never done that before and I'd like to get practice and uh, then I did a deep dive and it's a very interesting tune so uh, coppers and brass for probably most of its history was better known by the tune name Larry Grogan and Larry Grogan is the name of a piper so it's already like it's a very pipey tune um, and it's mostly known um, pipe it seems like this is a, a distinct thing that pipers know this tune as coppers and brass most people seem to know it as humors of Ennis Timon Ennis, Ennis Timon sorry for not sure how to pronounce Ennis Timon um, but uh, but anyway yeah like I said from you know 1730 up until 1850 uh, Larry Grogan was sort of the the norm for this tune and even O'Neill has it still as Larry Grogan so we're gonna play through a bunch of different settings of this tune uh, and this is sort of a fun deep dive it led me to some collections I'd never seen before so we're gonna start with um, Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances this tune like I said is, is pretty illin pipey so um, we're gonna, I, I play it on border pipes. This is from, uh, like I said, 1730s, not 100% sure when Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances is published. Um, it's got some tunes in there that are very familiar to uh, anybody that's interested in, in border music, uh, which we'll play a little bit more at, towards the end of the episode. Uh, it was likely published by Walsh. Uh, I've got an episode or two kind of talking about the history of, of Walsh um, music publishers uh, way back in season four. So you can go check that out if you want to know a little bit more about Walsh. Um, looking at traditional tune archive, uh, which was, you know, a great, always a good starting place and sometimes finishing place for, for looking for sources. Uh, it had, it said that it showed up in Walsh's Caledonian Country Dances and I couldn't find it in there. Um, but like I said, I, I found it in Johnson's Country Dances and Johnson's, like, it was probably published by Walsh, either originally or eventually. So anyway, here is um, Larry Grogan uh, from Johnson's Caledonian Country Dances on my uh, John Swain Border Pipes in G. <laughs> So yeah, I did have to make some slight adjustments uh, to get up to those high notes. The, you know, as you can hear, the, the John Swain 
border pipe channer, like it really does go up, you know, you get an octave and a half out of it pretty easily, but similar to like how on Ellen pipes, you've got to kind of walk your way up to the super high notes. Like once you get um, beyond that octave and a half range, you really have to um, ease your way into the, the second octave. And that's very much the case with uh, the John Swain border pipe chanter as well. So I had to add a little bit of adjustments to it. Um, but anyway, it's exactly the same setting as uh, what we'll be hearing from Robert Bremner a little bit later. But I'm going to run through these in chronological order. And next comes Oswald. Um, an Oswald setting uh, from, you know, uh, Oswald's Caledonian Pocket Companion. This is probably from the 1750s. I have a hard time dating any of the Oswald Pocket stuff. Oswald was, you know, teaching and writing music uh, in the 1740s uh, at, at least, um, but I think he died at some point in the 1750s, but uh, Robert Bremner uh, published, like kept on republishing Oswald stuff and it like kept getting published later. And so I, I have a bit of a hard time figuring out the dates exactly of when this uh, when this comes from. But anyway, this is Larry Grogan from Oswald's Caledonian Pocket Companion. Interestingly, um, I'm, I kind of debated how to how to do this um, because you know Oswald has a, a a much bigger set here. So rather than just a two-part jig he's got the the full four or five parts um for his variation sets which is often what oswald does right is he takes a folk tune um and then he adds some pretty serious um, variations onto it uh, based on his kind of training in italy and abroad and kind of the cultural interest of the day um and he's his setting is not exactly the same as um like I say, how most musicians know this tune is Humors of Ennis Timon, uh, or Ennis Timon. I want to say Ennis Town, but it's T-Y-M-O-N, uh, Ennis Timon. I'm not sure quite what you're supposed to say with that. Hey, that jaw harp is just me kind of coming in to say uh, for the next little bit, uh, at several times in this episode, I'm going to talk about the more popular tune of Coppers and Brass, as it's known by most people, uh, which is the humors of Ennis Diamond. And Ennis Diamond is a town uh, in, you know, Clare, and I just uh, didn't know that and didn't Google it even. So often, uh, you know, there's this thing about be sure to do more than just think, you know, like you don't want to just be thinking and not researching. So in this case, I was just thinking and not even Googling. So anyways, apologies. Town is Ennis Timon, and yeah, that's the name of the tune. Uh, at various points throughout the episode, I will speculate that it's a typo or whatever. I think I'm smart enough to say that Canon Goodman would have known what he was doing, but the cursive penmanship was throwing me for a loop. So anyway, uh, Humors of Ennis Timon is the more popular name for coppers and brass, uh, from people that aren't pipers. So we'll get back to our recording. And like I said, you'll hear me uh, maybe waffle about the meaning of that name a couple times in the episode. But that's how most people um, know this tune. And that tune also has some kind of very similar variations to what Oswald has, but not, not quite the same. So anyway, here is Oswald's Caledonian Pocket Companion from the 1750s. I wanna look at the sheet music here quick. Like I said, folks, apologies for me being uh, away here a bit. But so interestingly, um, so Johnson has it as a 6-4 and uh, Oswald has it as a 6-8. So a little bit more predictably jiggy. Um, Bremner also has it as a 6-4, which we'll talk about uh, after that. So anyway, here is Oswald's setting for Larry Grogan from the Caledonian Pocket Companion.
All right, yeah, so you can kind of, I don't know, I, I like it uh, a good bit. There's, as, as always, there's definitely more takes I would kind of like to take on this. Um, but anyway, so the order of all this is a little bit up for debate. Uh, like I said, I, I really struggled with whether to do these in chronological or not. But um, this next one, this is Robert Bremner's setting. Uh, and this comes from a source I don't think I've actually used too much from Bremner. This is from um, his flute pocketbook specifically. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, the delightful pocket companion for the German flute containing a choice collection of the most celebrated Italian, English, and Scotch tunes. Um, but Bremner's setting for Larry Grogan is note for note the same as Johnson, so we're just going to play it on Illin pipes, and you can hear it a little closer to how it was written without me having to kind of editorialize a little bit or, or make adjustments. And again, we're in 6-4 rather than 6-8. So anyway, here is Larry Grogan from Robert Bremner probably And uh, now we're going to go next in chronological, chronological order, which gets us to William Vickers' setting. So Vickers' tune book, I think, is 1776. I always think it's 1776 anyway. Um, and yeah, it is pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, there's a little bit of a weird thing going on with the repeats and the phrasing, um, but I just kind of played it. It's really hard, like, I, I'm not making excuses for bad takes necessarily, but it's hard to stay close to the notes like and that's the whole goal here right is to to show the very slight variations of these tunes and kind of how they've been expressed historically but it is really hard when it is a session tune that i've played thousands of times and like coppers and brass is also a tune that i played for robin a bunch when he was uh just a very little baby he had his one year birthday uh just a couple days ago it's wild um Anyway, uh, so anyway, I've, I've played coppers and brass maybe more than any other tune at this point in my life, and so, like, <laughs> making these adjustments to it uh, is a little tricky. So I may have inserted some things, but when important details uh, come about, I'll, I'll tell you about them. But Vickers is kind of keeping with the, the previous settings um, of those, uh, some of those other settings. He has it in 6-8, um, but yeah, pretty, pretty standard pretty standard setting i guess not a, not a lot of surprises anyway here's a here's william vickers setting for larry grogan So the next one, 
uh, is a little bit more, uh, I mean, it is sort of interesting. Uh, it starts to look a little bit more like coppers and brass to me. Anyway, this is Larry Grogan from James Aird, and this comes from Aird's first book, uh, the, the first volume of his uh, selection of Scotch, English, Irish, and foreign airs. So this is probably around 1782. Um, and yeah, you start to see some things that I always think of as, as part of coppers and brass, that leading note, the ba da da dun dun da dun um, The other ones haven't had the full-on da-da-da, the full step-down, uh, the, the DC, DCB, um, the DC leading into the first kind of set of da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, uh, the other ones have had a lead-in note, but it's just been ba ba da ba ba dum it just goes the the c anyway here is aird's setting for larry grogan like i said 1782 Aired setting pretty good. Um, starting to some of those, it's a little less clunky. There's not quite so much the repetition of the the ACAC thing that we see in the, the earlier settings from the earlier 18th century. I think one of my favorite ones though is O'Farrell. O'Farrell setting is from the, the third volume of the Pocket Companion, um, and it's in six eight, and it has the same lead-in notes as. Um, as Aird has it. And even though O'Farrell is an Illin Piper, right, his, his books are specifically for, for Illin Pipes, uh, it is maybe the most different than from, from Coppers and Brass, kind of what we think of as a session to nowadays, but I really, really rather enjoy it. So anyway, here is O'Farrell's setting for Larry Grogan. Um, since it was the third volume, I think that's around 1808. The, the date, like I said, dates on these settings can be a little tricky. Uh, but anyway, here is O'Farrell's setting for Larry Grogan. Yeah, O'Farrell, man. So good. <laughs> like, just, uh, and I guess there are some things that we do see still in the piping version. When we get to, uh, or the 20th century pipers, uh, rather than having, de do, de de do, um, de da da, like O'Farrell's got that, de da da, de da da, where it's just repeating the note rather than bouncing back and forth, uh, which I think we'll see from, um, Patty Keenan. I'm not 100% sure on that. We'll listen together. Uh, all right, this next setting is such a treat. Like, um, I've had my father-in-law on the podcast a couple times, and uh, it's always a delight. My mother-in-law plays really lovely piano, and they, uh, I've mentioned before, I think, that my, my father-in-law tunes pianos, and so often has his ear kind of to the pavement of where pianos are and how they're going around. Um, but anyway, they recently got uh, 
a, a very nice piano and it's just kind of sitting in the living room and it has been a joy to watch my mother-in-law play and have uh, Robin kind of bash along on the keys. But like she's really good and able to sight read piano music uh, excellently. So this next setting is has really kind of opened my eyes to um, some probably obvious things. Like I, I know that a lot of people play piano and like that is your music theory grounding. And to me, it was all just completely foreign to me. I didn't really understand exactly why it was that um, these settings that are specifically meant for piano um, were so different always. And hearing uh, Lynn uh, play it, like I can, I kind of got it a lot. Uh, I've had some conversations with um, my father-in-law about tempered tuning and kind of what a piano can and can't do. And especially after that, that album, uh, was it last year or two years ago that came out of piano and Ellen Pipes and kind of the limitations of that. Um, it's been, it's been an interesting thought. Anyway, here is, um, here is my mother-in-law, Lynn, uh, kindly playing a setting from 1853. This is Larry Grogan, and it's from a book called Songs of Ireland Without Words for the Pianoforte by J.T. Serene, um, or Seren, maybe, Serene, I think. Um, but anyway, it's really great to hear it. Um, it's been, the, the, the pitch has been adjusted to kind of suit the piano, because despite what my brain thinks, because when you think music, I often think of them like in terms of white keys and black keys because of just the music, like that's what music looks like in the United States, right? And, and much of the kind of European influenced world. Um, but yeah, it can't play everything, right? Like uh, <laughs> those keys are fixed unless you go in and, and manually retune them. You kind of got one set of notes to play. So um, I kind of understand now why bunting changes everything from how the harpers played it to changing it so it was more convenient for the piano. Like there's just, you have to make the, you have to adjust the music to fit within that, that limitation of being able to do that. That being said, holy crap, does it work? Like honestly, you know, a big part of this tune of Leo Grogan and Coppers and, and Brass is that, um, that second part, right? Like that's the real, to me anyway, that's the real like innovation or cool thing about this tune. That like that kind of false note. And you obviously can't do that on a piano. So um, the pitch and kind of placement has been adjusted a little bit. Um, and every time my mother-in-law like hit that chord, uh, the way that they do it on piano, it's so good. Like it really kind of got me emotional while listening back. So anyway, here is... Um, uh, Larry Grogan played by Lynn Sanders on uh, piano. Uh, this is from 1853. Also, God, the bass line. Just, yeah, enjoy. I just, the, like all of this music, uh, you know, I, I know there's been a movement to uh, include the bass line, right? Like um, that so many of these tunes that come out in the 18th century, and you know, this one's from the 1850s, but um, so many of the, the 18th century settings have a bass line through it. Like we've talked about that with Patrick McDonald's collection, where there's a bunch of bass line stuff added, and I just don't include it. Like I never, I never do. And I haven't realized how much I was missing out on part of my brain as had always thought that like I would use those that baseline as a basis for regulators in some magical universe where I had a full set of working regulators and the ability to um read music that way <laughs> um but I don't think that's I don't think that's really possible but some of those chords are so so beautiful like it it really I don't know it, it really works well and it makes me feel like I've been doing a disservice to this music the whole time by not doing a baseline and I you know, there's part of me that had been, I guess, elitist about it, maybe, or um, gatekeepy about, like, folk traditions being played on folk music, and that somehow moving this, these melodies to piano, that there was something lost there, that there was nothing gained, it was just loss. Um, and I, and that's clearly not true. Like, there's, there's some real charm to, like, 
you know, my, my mother-in-law played that, like that's her maybe fifth time playing it, like sight reading it. And still like that development of chords, that, that baseline backing is really, really something. I really like that. Uh, anyway, to me, you know, I've always been kind of the, um, <laughs> the music theory, ignorant piper here. So I played the, the playing on Illin pipes, it winds up just feeling like it's kind of adjusting the, the pitch a little bit. And it doesn't sound, I don't think it sounds at all like it does on piano, but even kind of playing it poorly as written on Illin pipes also sounds pretty cool. So anyway, here is me playing that same setting, but on, on Illin pipes. Yeah, okay, so that's uh, that's Songs of Ireland Without Words from uh, for the Piano Fiorte by J.T. Seren. Lovely stuff. Um, yeah, so that was uh, 1850s. I, I guess chronologically the next setting I have here, uh, sort of kind of setting anyway, is uh, Francis O'Neill. So interestingly, like Francis O'Neill wrote about Larry Grogan in, um, and I, I guess it's worth kind of talking about who this guy is. Um, but he wrote about Larry Grogan in his book on uh, minstrels here. What is it called? Sorry, let me get it back in front of me. Um, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, uh, this is 1913, O'Neill's Irish Minstrels and Musicians. Uh, so he writes about Larry Grogan and has a setting for the tune that he says is from Aird. It's not. It is. Some adjustments have been made. But I'm just going to read you what... Um, I'm going to read to you what... O'Neill said about Lawrence Grogan. So, a contemporary of Pierre Power of Glynn, Lawrence Grogan of Johnston Castle, County Wexford, was still more celebrated as a piper and composer, though. Like Power, uh, his fame rests chiefly on one heir, Allie Croker, which caught the popular fancy. It was taken up immediately by the ballad singers, circulated far and wide, and within a few years had been incorporated into three operas. The authenticity of the air has been questioned in recent times by uh, Chappelle, an English publisher, and Sir Villiers Stanford because it first appeared in print in an English publication. We are informed by Crofton Croker, or Crocker, um, an excellent authority, that the song and music of Alley Croker were composed about the year 1725 by Lawrence Grogan, a gentleman piper. It is not easy to see uh, how its appearance in the opera of Love in a Riddle five years later renders its Irish origin improbable. Its popularity became more widespread on being introduced by Foote in 1753 into his comedy The Englishman in Paris and by Kane O'Hara in Midas seven years afterwards. In 1803, the heir was wedded by George Colhan to a song entitled The Unfortunate Miss Bailey. Tom Moore's song, The Shamrock, set to the heir Ellie Croker, has been excluded from the Stanford uh, edition of Moore's Irish Melodies Restored. Like the gentleman of his day, Larry Grogan, as he was called, was devoted to hunting and horse racing. Widely known, he was immortalized in verse in his prime, but no account of him since the middle of the 18th century can be traced. Uh, following is a jig bearing his name to be found in the first volume of aired selection of English, Scotch, Irish, and Foreign Errors, published in 1782 at London. So I'll um, I'll I'll play you what he has as aired setting. I I, I think I like O'Neill's setting here. It's it's clearly not aired. Um, like there are some things that are in aired, but there's definitely some. He he chief O'Neilled it a little bit. Kind of added some some things that I I think uh, help. They they don't hurt the tune, I guess. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So Gentleman Piper, the I, I'm currently, you know, ever since that Lark in the Morning episode where I included the clip of Seamus Ennis talking about a gentleman's piper, I've been nervous about some of my assumptions about what a gentleman piper is. Like, I always took it to be gentleman piper, um, like thinking of people like Walker Jackson who are uh, landowning 
Protestants that play pipes uh, are kind of what I assumed gentlemen pipers were. Um, but yeah, Seamus Ennis' story about a gentleman's piper makes me wonder if like that kind of bardic sort of tradition of being employed by a wealthy landowner and having that whole gentleman piping um, outfit. Anyway, I, I clearly need to do some more digging into the, the kind of varied lives and behaviors of gentlemen pipers and uh, see uh, what I feel about it. I'm nervous about this, not because I've said anything on this podcast, but that long interview I did with uh, James for droning on, I think I might... I think I'm accurate for describing what a gentleman piper is in some settings, but there, it's clearly more complex than just my assumptions there. So hopefully that'll be a fruitful uh, future episode. Anyway, let us do. We'll do O'Neill's setting for Larry Grogan here, and then I'll also play you Ali Croker, so you can hear that. But first, uh, let's kind of finish off our our Larry Grogan settings. This is O'Neill. Like I said, this is 1913, although he claims that this is largely um, aired setting. I can see that it's inspired by it, but it's it's different. So it seems unlikely, you know, based on what O'Neill said and what I could find kind of poking around on um, traditional tune archive and, and reading various notes and, and comments on it. Um, it, yeah, it, it seems, it's hard to tell. It doesn't seem like Larry Grogan wrote this own, wrote this tune about himself, but it clearly sits really well on Ellen Pipes and it kind of takes advantage of um, some things that Ellen Pipes do particularly well, right? Like that, that, that kind of bent note there. Um, there's nothing that's particularly challenging on, on Ellen Pipes, uh, except for that in the older settings where it bounces from that A to the C, that do da do do da do That's sort of an awkward thing to do, and that just might be my read enchanter setup. Maybe it sounded a lot better on um, on Larry's instrument if he wrote it. Um, but this other tune, uh, Ali Croker, I don't know, man. It's really... I keep thinking about, uh, there's a Napeeber Illin kind of tutorial video that uh, Ben Jaber did, and I can't remember what the, the melody was, but he talked about uh, hanging out on that C, that the you know the the one note below the the the, the D right the the back C, not the back C the C for inland inland pipe tunes and like how inland pipes just we just we kind of do love to hang out on that that note and Allie Croker spends a lot of time on that note and the the fact that it's it shows up in some places as an air um, it seems like it's a march maybe it's sort of a weird tune um i couldn't find a particularly satisfying performance of it um and so i'm just i'm really just going off of what i see on the notes um, this is from hibernian muse which we've talked about in the past uh which is a cool collection of music from the oh goodness uh 1780 1787 or so uh remember there's like these two series there's the caledonian muse and the hibernian muse uh hibernian muse has a bunch of uh carolyn tunes and other irish stuff a lot of stuff that came from um plays and, and dramas and caledonian muse also has some really interesting stuff but included this essay that was basically like 80 percent just lifted from patrick mcdonald uh anyway i released both of those as audiobook episodes back in season five is it so you can go back and listen to those if you are curious but anyway here is me trying to figure out how to play ally croker on ellen pipes uh hibernian muse has it as a two four and i don't know i can see maybe if this is supposed to be played super slow uh if it's like a ballad slow air uh or if it's supposed to be a march it, it would kind of work okay both ways um we might revisit it i found some some of the lyrics and i wouldn't mind kind of exploring some of the song versions of this in a future episode but i like i said i'm not really in a a good uh, position for recording singing right now so anyway here is ali croker from the uh, hibernian hibernian muse this is the tune that is attributed to larry grogan's fame according to o'neill anyway
Yeah, so uh, I don't know. Interesting tune. Uh, definitely can see how an Ellen Piper may have liked those t that tune um, just for the ability to like hang on on those notes. But I'm not. Yeah, I, I I don't. If somebody said no, this is what it's supposed to sound like. I would not be at all surprised to find out that I'm playing that wildly differently than how it's supposed to be. Anyway, let's get back to um, coppers and brass, right? So. Like I said, inland pipers tend to know this tune as coppers and brass. According to the good folks at Traditional Tune Archive, uh, it is probably better known as uh, humors of Ennis Timon. Um, and so I'm going to play Canon Goodman's setting. And again, remember I said uh, Oswald had like the four or five part version of Larry Grogan. And some of those same variations kind of show up here in humors of Ennis Town or Ennis Timon. This is a really cool tune, um, but yeah, here's here's me playing Canon Goodman's setting of it. Uh, again, these th this one in particular too. Like, there's uh, the the dots are just different enough from how I generally play coppers and brass that it kind of threw me for a bit of a loop. So apologies for that, but uh, still a really cool tune. I like the variations. Yeah, those third and fourth variations are super cool on that tune. Um, definitely gonna have a future with those. So anyway, so we are still haven't even uttered the words coppers and brass, and I fear I don't have an interesting anecdote or story or explanation of where that title came from. Um, I can all I kind of really found was uh, tracing it back to uh, the mid 20th century with Johnny Duran, a traveling Ellen Piper uh, in Ireland who plays it wildly good, uh, of course, on his kind of the one recording that we have of Johnny Duran from a uh, bunch of keys. So Johnny Duran plays it as coppers and brass, and uh, I kind of think that is why Ellen Piper specifically think of it as that title rather than anything else. Um, when I first asked if people knew the new coppers and brass at the session, uh, it was sort of funny. I, I hadn't even thought of the association of uh, somebody at the session said, oh, is it about uh, police fighting with military officers. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that could be what it is. Uh, in my head, coppers, I think of like kitchen coppers, like old cooking pots, um, and bra I don't know, but like a polishing tune, something about polishing, maybe it says, does this go all the way back to Larry Grogan? Did Larry Grogan have really fancy pipes that were uh, very polished 
uh, very polished copper and brass. That would have been uh, not unheard of, but kind of rare, I think. And would that have been rare? Brain currently. No, I guess, yeah. So the early, early sets often had brass hardware, right? For, for regulator keys and that sort of thing. Um, anyway, here is, uh, without further ado, anyway, here is the kind of famous traveler, uh, Ellen Piper, Johnny Duran, playing uh, coppers and brass. I love I love Johnny Duran's playing. Um, I honestly haven't listened to it much. Um, what I love about Johnny Duran's playing, just listening to that, is like those are like I said. I've played coppers and brass more than maybe any other tune on the planet right now, and like those are all like his variations are things I have tried. Like I'm I when I started to get serious about island piping, I started to get very self-conscious about my inability to kind of improvise uh, variations or play different things. And I am kind of in this moment realizing like, oh, I've gotten pretty good at that. Uh, maybe to the point of uh, dangerously doing it too much. Um, but like all of those variations that, that Duran is playing are like things I have thought about. Uh, and especially that just holding onto the note that it's also like, something that I have come to associate so much with um, like Gaelic singing and piping from the Hebrides, right? Like holding onto those notes, some of those Eliza Ross tunes um, and Patrick McDonald stuff and just listening to Alan McDonald play and now Breacha too. Like that is a choice that a lot of that uh, kind of mouth music stuff and um, music from the, the Isles uses. And it's great to hear a traveling piper do it on Alan pipes. Um, anyway, so, ah, that's, that's super great. Gonna have to listen to more, more Duran and think uh, a little bit more about these tunes. But uh, anyway, so part of kind of Willie Clancy's origin story uh, is running into and kind of meeting Johnny Duran when he was a teenager. And so, yeah, probably the next, you know, famous Ellen Piper to, to tackle this tune uh, is, is Willie Clancy. So let's just take a, a quick, a quick peek at uh, Willie Clancy's take on this tune. Probably won't listen to the entirety of it.
Yeah, that's really good too. Uh, a little bit slower tempo, and I don't think like Duran recorded on a tape. Um, I think so. I don't, it's not like a wax cylinder thing where the tempo hasn't messed up. I think Duran took it faster than Clancy. I could be I could be wrong about that. I know a lot of times some of the really old recordings, um, like it's hard to tell really where the tempo was and the pitch and everything because there's so many errors kind of in the recording process. Um, but yeah, I was thinking more about the my inclination to do variations where you just hold on the same note, and I'm realizing it is intrinsically tied to uh, being a father and walking around with one arm holding Robin and trying to play music <laughs> for, on the other one, and like often pushing his stroller. You know, we would go for walks when I got done teaching often, and I would take a whistle with me and kind of play tunes for him. And coppers and brass, like I said, was a regular one, and. It, I, so a lot of variations were based on, can I just play a different note over and over again that only requires one hand so the other hand can be pushing the stroller. But, well, in fact, we are so short on time, I'm just going to end the episode here on this next track. Um, yeah, I want to thank uh, my mother-in-law, Lynn Sanders, and I, I can't really think of a better uh, way to show my appreciation for, for Lynn for, for playing this piano tune than to put her on an album with Patty Keenan. And I'm so grateful to Patty, too, for uh, kind of letting me uh, include his track here. So we're going to include Patty play um, Coppers and Brasses into Rambling Pitchfork uh, from his 1979 album. And again, it's like the studio quality of the recording is so nice. You know, I, I love listening to Duran and Willie Clancy um, and all those like old recordings and it's like really empowering to to hear that the like it's inland pipes are not an instrument that are friendly to recording devices with the regulators honking um, and kind of overpowering the chanter sometimes but this is a really clean recording of Patty playing and the the balance between regulators and chanter are lovely and of course Patty's execution is lovely as well um, Patty is such a cool dude uh, like the before I really had any business uh, playing Ellen Pipes in public, uh, Patty came to Bemidji, where I was going to college, and gave a couple concerts. And I was the only Ellen Piper for many, many, many miles. And I went to the show, and as, as Patty often did then, maybe still does today, like he invited people up on stage to join him for a set, like one of the, the local session scene to be involved in his performances. Um, and it was really, it was really cool. Um, the first time I saw Patty play, he had me get up on stage with him. Uh, and I think it was just me and we were playing, you know, I was, I was playing my Ellen pipes, obviously. And I was so like dumbfounded out of my depth and, uh, unfamiliar with like session music and traditional, like Irish traditional music. At that point I had started to become obsessed with O'Farrell's, um, pocketbook, but I hadn't really learned many tunes. So, uh, I, I'm not sure if I've told the story on the podcast or not, but like Patty was, was playing a jig and he said, yeah, just, you know, jump in, I'll play a set and we'll, we'll just trade tunes back and forth. And so he had me start, right? So I played Rolling in the Ryegrass, uh, which was sort of the only tune I could remember the name of at the time. <laughs> And the only tune I can remember to play. Like at this point, and I'm still actually not great at identifying the difference between jigs and reels. Um, and like the way I had to figure out if a tune was a jig or a reel knot is I would think of the tunes I knew that were called reel or jig. And then I'd be like, okay, so Cooley's reel is... So then I think of this tune. Does it match with that melody? It doesn't. So that must not be a reel. That must be a jig. And I would do that in my head every time I was trying to decide if it was a jig or a reel. So uh, I said, yeah, let's play Rolling in the Ryegrass. And he said jig maybe or something. I don't know. But I, So I played it. And then I handed the tune off to Patty and he started playing something else that I didn't know. And then he felt bad for me not being included. And he's like, okay, well, you get to pick the next one, you know, as, as we're playing. He's communicating this to me with his eyes. Uh, and he kind of looks at me ready to, to pass it off. And I'm like struggling. I'm like saying, no, no, no. I, and with my head, I was like, I don't know any other tunes. And he's like, no, you got it. You got it. And he, and he handed it back and I played Rolling in the Ryegrass again. <laughs> so it was a very innovative set of Rolling in the Ryegrass, some amazing tune by Patty Keenan and then Rolling in the Ryegrass again. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. I sat at the, at the bar and just chatted with Patty for, two or three hours after after the show it was the the first and uh yeah the first time i ever hung out with an ellen piper apart from the guy who made my pipes was patty keenan for um for maybe two two and a half hours at the bar like it was absolutely magical um and 
yeah, had a had a nice long chat with him. And so anyway, I'm really appreciative of him letting me play this tune. And I can't really think of a better way to go out on this episode, uh, kind of doing a deep dive into Larry Grogan and Coppers and Brasses. I actually have another half episode recorded that I was going to launch into. But the, the time we're at here, we might as well just call it quits. And that'll be the next episode is kind of exploring the sources that are uh, the tunes and things that are that are adjacent to um, where I found Larry Grogan and these other manuscript sources. So if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash way to twog. Uh, I upload, oftentimes I'll upload like tunes only episode. Uh, so like just the music, uh, so you can just listen to the tunes and not me rambling. I also upload tune bucks there. So, uh, always in the show notes, you can click through to the archival sources that I'm using for these notes. But if you're on the Patreon page, I release a tune book with every episode too. So you can like, it's just all done for you. You can look at it, uh, just right and and ready with links to it but also um kind of the, the image of the the page of music itself um if you want to get in touch send me an email to bagpipehistory at gmail.com i'd love to hear some more recordings of people if you've got any news or just a, a historic story or tune you want to share with people uh like i said i really enjoyed those for the the 50 000 download special and i'd happily add them into a regular segment on the podcast so hope everyone's doing well and yeah, we'll be back next week with sort of, or, or next next episode with sort of the continuation of these tunes that are uh, next to Larry Grogan. But first, here we go, Patty Keenan from 1979, Coppers and Brass into the Rambling Pitchfork. <laughs> 